I started the Czech Institute, which I referred to as my tribe because I saw that both the exercise and medical communities had become dangerously lost in scientific reductionism and materialism. The body was viewed and treated as a machine, and there was no soul being engaged in patients, people, and athletes. I knew I could offer more, so I created a movement, holistic health and functional exercise for the purpose of creating more autonomy and freedom in people's lives. And because there is real substance in the teachings my instructors and I provide, and we all live the teachings, the Czech Institute's tribal movement has been going on strong since I started it in 1995 and is stronger today than it's ever been. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Czech. Today's episode is a solo episode with Paul himself talking about the importance of tribes and how to build a community of support for yourself, your family, or your business. Hi, everybody. I imagine some of you are finding that your mind is not as sharp as it was, or that you can't seem to remember things as well, such as the last page you read in the book, or the key points from a meeting you just attended recently. Do you feel that your brain is taking longer to come online, or that your thinking gets muddled or fuzzy when you've got a lot to get done? If so, Organifi Pure may be just the magic you need. A key ingredient in Organifi Pure, called Neurofactor, showed a significant impact on brain-derived neurotropic factor, which has been widely reported to play a critical role in neuronal development, maintenance, repair, and protection against neurodegeneration. The certified organic combination of herbs in Organifi Pure not only enhances mental clarity and promotes brain-derived neurotropic factor to stimulate the development of new neural pathways, It aids in enhanced digestion, which is important because many cognitive problems are symptoms of poor digestion. To get your Organifi Pure and shop their amazing product line with your Living 4D discount, go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and save 20% on any of their products using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20, that's CHECK20, during discount. Enjoy. Hi, you guys. I know you all know that super green powders are good for you if they're made from organic sources and they're processed properly so the nutrients are there. And that's exactly what Paleo Valley does with their super greens powder. So I brought Autumn Smith in to tell us exactly how she created it and why and what it's going to do for you when you try their amazing organic super greens powder. Autumn, what is the magic you've got here? Well, like you said, we all need to get more of those micronutrients that you find in fresh fruits and vegetables. And so we've created a powder that you do not have to choke down. It has an absolutely delicious berry lemonade flavor. And the reason that it's different is because A, it is all organic, 23 organic superfood ingredients. And B, it is a very, very gut-friendly product because what I've found in my practice is that a lot of people don't do well with cereal grasses. And we know cereal grasses, like wheatgrass, can contain lectins that can be hard on the guts of a lot of people I work with. And so what we did was we created a a cereal grass-free alternative. We use high quality, the cleanest, highest quality spirulina on the market raised in India. And then we added the 22 other organic fresh fruits and vegetables and the flavor will surprise you. So all you have to do to check it out is go ahead to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. 
and you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15, at checkout. My son drinks it every day. We call it his ninja juice, and I sincerely hope your family loves it as much as ours does. All right, everybody, go paleo green and get rocking. Hope you love it. Hi, everybody. You know, I love Bioptimizer's products. And one of the products that I use every single day is Leaky Gut Guardian, which is designed to repair leaky gut syndrome, which almost everybody has today. And it's the basis of what we now call metabolic syndrome. And what most people don't realize is if you can't digest the food that you're eating and your small intestine is leaking, then undigested food particles get into your bloodstream. They go right through the portal vein to the liver. And the liver has no mechanism for breaking large food molecules down, so your immune system comes after it and attacks it. I brought Wade Lightheart here, co-founder of Bioptimizers, because I really wanted to know, how does Leaky Gut Guardian actually work to close the gut up and seal it? Wade, how does it do it? There's three areas that it deals with. Number one, it provides immunoglobulins made from eggs. The probiotic strains that are shown to repair the mucoid lining, as well as the prebiotics that allow them to take hold and operate inside your digestive canal. We combined all those three in a very tasty formula so that you can take it every day on an empty stomach, and it's been proven to work. Wade, I love that. I know it works because I use it, and everybody I've ever given it to is amazed by it. What's the discount for Living 4D listeners, and where can they get it? Well, if they go to www.leakygutguardian.com slash living4D and put in living4D uh, at any point, they will receive a 10% discount on all their products with our 100% money back guarantee. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check, and welcome to the first part of our two-part Thrive podcast series for the Czech Institute and for you, the Living 4D tribe. And in fact, the title... And concept we will be sharing today is Tribe, Building a Community of Support. So with that started, let's get into it today. Aside from my own experience and studies of native cultures and tribes over the years, the main resource I've drawn from for our discussion of tribes and building a community of support is from a very good, easy-to-read book titled Tribes. We Need You to Lead Us by Seth Godin. That's Seth, G-O-D-I-N. In this podcast, Tribe, Building a Community of Support, I will begin by sharing my knowledge of what a tribe was in the past, some essentials of how they formed, functioned, and what was needed to make a tribe function sustainably. With that groundwork, we'll begin to look at what a tribe is today, what makes them useful, how they work. I'll also highlight what tribes are not, so you don't get caught up in the many scams masquerading as tribes today. I'll also share tips for how to find or build the tribe or tribes that really enhance your life, stimulate your creativity, inspire the development of your leadership skills, and even make you a great income if you apply what I share here and what is offered in the resources that I share. So I hope you enjoy Tribe, Building a Community of Support, our first edition of this two-part Thrive series for the Czech Institute and Living 4D listeners. We all need tribe, so let's take a look at what led us to creating tribes throughout antiquity, how they functioned, and why. What is a tribe? Throughout antiquity, a tribe has always been a group of people that function together for the purpose of living, growing, thriving, supporting each other, and making life easier for all involved. 
Today, unless someone has taken a wilderness survival course or spent time in nature foraging without the support of modern technology, it's safe to say that most people are totally out of touch with the harsh realities of surviving in the wild. Those of us that are hunters, backpackers, and mountaineers will have a good idea of what it means to run out of water, food, or not have tools such as knives, rope, a hatchet or axe, shelter, or a means of starting a fire on hand. The rest of the population today is generally clueless as to what it takes to survive in the wild alone. Tribes were very often started by a small number of people and grew through progressive accumulation of their own offspring. Many tribes were polyamorous, multiple intimate partners, polygamous, multiple wives, or during matriarchal periods, polyandry, multiple husbands was practiced. Tribes also sought out people with specific skills they needed to join their tribe when it was necessary. Because of this, tribes became very close-knit groups. Over time, almost everyone in the tribe had blood ties to each other, making the tribe akin to a large family. There are many records of white people fighting natives around the world that highlighted the incredible strength, toughness, and ability to communicate among each other that made for very tough battles with tribes compared to non-tribal groups. There are also accounts of trappers, traveling salespeople, religious officials, and others that married into tribes and gave accounts of the incredible bond among tribal members, not to mention the vast amount of knowledge gained from tribal wisdom that has influenced people the world over. This knowledge ranges from tool making to weapon making, herbal medicines, and how to make clothing that supported people in severe weather conditions, medical practice such as bone setting and surgery, and of course the deep rich tribal wisdom of shamanism that ultimately underpins the world's religious traditions, though most of them will deny this truth. Tribes occasionally picked up other members with specialized skills that were needed to enhance survivability, support growth, aid in specialization of skills such as hunting, trapping, warfare, metalworking, which we would refer to as blacksmiths, medical skills, communications, building shelter, and more. Tribes, as outlined in Kevin Costner's amazing documentary series titled 500 Nations, often traded with and supported each other in ways that exceeded the quality and efficiency of our political systems and commerce today. No, they didn't have Amazon, but they did have the Amazon, and they did have a very high quality of craftsmanship and a system of barter and commerce that was much more balanced, stable, and reliable than the kind of commerce and digital banking we have today which is loaded with inadequacies that are both deceptive and grow the divide between the rich and poor to dangerous levels. Barter systems were both stable and tangible because there was always something tangible being exchanged, be it goods or services. This means you had to deliver the goods or you lost the business. And depending on the nature of the tribe, if you didn't deliver, someone or some of their tribal warriors may kill you, so the level of honesty was far superior in general than it is today. In fact, the Cherokee Indians are famous for outsmarting the white man at his games. White people were well known to manipulate, lie to, and cheat the Indians, taking valuable tools, foods, and related items from them in trade for what white people knew to be junk, or making promises that were never kept, just like politicians are famous for doing today. The Cherokee set up a good system of commerce 
and were far too savvy for the white men and outsmarted them regularly. In fact, the Cherokee Indian nation is the largest tribe of Indians still existing today with over 300,000 members. In the excellent book titled Metabolic Man, 10,000 Years from Eden by Charles Heiser Worthen, he describes how most tribes could get their hunting and gathering done for the day in three to four hours and spent the rest of the day enjoying themselves, playing with children or working on projects. While parents were out hunting and gathering, the elders, the most wise, experienced, empathetic, and compassionate people in the tribe, were educating the children. They did this largely through storytelling, acting out of stories, dances, emulating hunts, singing tribal songs that grounded the children in their tribal mythology, as well as engaging in arts and crafts. In my studies of Chief Seattle, he mentions that when white men came into their territory and encouraged the Indians to engage their practices, and Indian children were sent to white men's schools to be educated, they came back functionally useless. They couldn't hunt, fish, build, or do anything of use to the tribe. This was brought up by Chief Seattle because the U.S. government, in coercing his people from their land, tried to throw in education as a bonus for the children of the tribes, which they already knew was the kind of offer any Cherokee would have seen as sleight of hand. I share this to make the point that anyone living in a tribe beyond childhood had to be functional. They had to carry their weight, or the tribe was put at risk. You can't just feed and care for any number of people without having the resources and the people needed for all the facets of tribal function. This is one of the key reasons that most all tribes had initiation processes, and when young men could not pass this initiation, he was either sent back to live as a child for one more year or was killed to protect the tribe's survivability. Now, most people today would think that's very harsh, but again, if you've never tried to survive in nature alone and don't know what it takes to survive in nature, which most don't, you won't understand that and it might seem brutal to you, but not nearly as brutal as trying to carry people that are not functional in the tribe and putting the whole tribe at risk. In most all the tribes I've studied, with the exception of some African tribes, a girl's initiation into womanhood was first the beginning of her menstrual cycle, and second, the birthing process, which as most of us today are aware, is not only exceedingly painful in general, but before the advent of modern medical intervention, often resulted in death of the mother and or the child. Other books that I've studied suggest that most tribes ran into trouble if the size of the tribe got much bigger than about 55 plus or minus a few people because the amount of resources that had to be drawn from the surrounding environment produced a greater demand than could often be sustained. If tribes were to get larger than this, it generally required either a very abundant region or effective networking with surrounding tribes. So as we begin our journey into what tribe is, tribe building, and building a community of support, it is important to realize a few things regarding what made a tribe a tribe and what made them work and thrive for untold millennia. There were typically strong blood tries among tribal members. This enhances intuitive knowing of what others are doing, which is important during activities where many people are working at the same time, such as building, hunting, gathering, dancing, singing, seasonal preparations, warfare, etc. Tribes in general had a guiding myth to orient them to the challenges and mysteries of life 
and give them deep faith in something beyond themselves, which I expand upon as I go because this aspect of a tribe is very important even today. Tribes had people with specialized skills both to enhance survivability and enhance efficiency. Tribes educated children in ways that were ideal for their level of development, were practical, and taught life skills that they would need to become contributing members of the tribe. The elders of the tribe were venerated for their wisdom, empathy, compassion, knowledge of history, political skills, and the ability to effectively care for and educate children while the parents tended to the adult tasks of the tribe each day, such as hunting and gathering. Tribes generally had a medicine man or woman that was very knowledgeable regarding how to use plants, animal substances, minerals and gemstones, water, and other natural resources to facilitate healing from illness and injury. Tribes generally had a well-developed barter system based on tangible goods and service so that it could exchange with surrounding tribes and travelers or explorers they came into contact with. Tribes also had a shaman that was the doctor of the soul. Some experts have stated that shamanism was the first psychiatry, or shaman were the first psychiatrists. The shaman was a visionary that could locate animals for the hunt, communicate with the spirits of the animals, and gain permission to hunt for their survival, and ask what offerings they could make to the animal spirits in return. Shaman provided skills such as remote viewing for navigation and warfare. Shaman used psychic warfare when needed and could cast spells on people at a distance, such as the enemy tribal chiefs, feared warriors, or whole tribes or bands of warriors. The shaman was an expert in which plants had psychedelic or visionary qualities and how to use them. The shaman was often key in the development of vision quests and the initiation process. Shaman could and still can communicate with the spirits in nature, the soul of the planet, the spirit of other planets, or the sun, forewarn of dangerous events such as storms, earthquakes, and other catastrophic events, and was able to climb the spirit ladder into other dimensions. A fantastic book exploring such functions of the shaman for those who are interested in a much deeper understanding of the skills and functions of a shaman around the world is Supernatural Meetings with the Ancient Teachers of Mankind by Graham Hancock which is also available uh, as an audiobook. The modern versions of tribe and how they can serve you. Today, our idea of what a tribe is has changed radically due to modern technology and formalization and automation of systems such as building, farming, making clothing, tool making, education, commerce, medicine, warfare, communications, and more. In his book titled Tribes, we Need You to Lead Us by Seth Godin, he describes a tribe as follows. A tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. Godin states that a group needs only two things to be a tribe, a shared interest and a way to communicate. Though Godin's book, Tribes, is a very good book on many levels, it is a departure from the real meaning of what a tribe is, and on many levels reflects how corporate entities tap into our unconscious and use words with primal meaning and attractiveness with the intention of creating useful business ventures. Though I'm not a fan of such mind manipulations, Godden Book does offer many useful tips and insights for people wanting the connection and benefits of tribe today. Tribes also needs leadership, as Godden shares. You can't have a tribe without a leader, and you can't be a leader without a tribe. Regardless of what type 
of tribe one is in or wants to create, all tribes need three things, connection, growth, and something new. Let's look into each of these key elements of tribe. Connection. Today we have far more digital tribes than we do tribes that actually meet in person to carry out the function of authentic human tribes. When you consider that a tribe, as defined by Godin, is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea, it's not hard to find a myriad of tribes existing on the internet. Tribes exist because people inherently need to belong. We are social creatures, and we learn and grow better and faster when we have tribe, just as a young child with an older sibling typically learns much faster than the first child or single children typically do. I've seen this firsthand with my daughter Zoe, who is three years younger than her brother Mana. In fact, just since COVID hit, I've seen Kelly Brogan and Sawyer G create a tribe around the message or ideas shared in their excellent newsletter, Green Med Info, which you can subscribe to at greenmedinfo.com. Zach Bush, MD, has started a tribe. Ben Greenfield has a tribe. Aubrey Marcus started his Fit for Service tribe. You can listen to my recent podcast with Aubrey and hear much more about tribes and his Fit for Service tribe. There are tribes of video game players attracted to or addicted to various games. There are online and live tribes for gardening, cooking, spiritual development. Tammy Simon started a global organization with Sounds True and offers various tribes within her tribe for such areas as meditation, Zen training, mindfulness, and much more. People like Tim Sheaf and Rafe Kelly have tribes for parkour athletes. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny has a tribe for vaccine awareness and educational support. There are many weightlifting, sports of various types, swimming, boxing, kickboxing, and other tribes. Mike Salemi has started his own kettlebell training tribe, which you may have heard about right here on Living 4D with Paul Check. One of my friends, Hans Bloomberg, a number of years ago, started an online tribe for people that like horses. He offered them a digital arena where they could have a horse, a barn, fields, and all the things that horse lovers that can't have horses in the city or can't afford one need to feel connected to their love of horses. He grew the business and sold it when he got an offer he couldn't refuse. He got a great return on his investment in tribe. If you listen to my podcast with retired porn star and philosopher Connor Habib, you'll find that there are sex tribes. Mickey Willis started a tribe with the release of his Plandemic documentaries and has many thousands of physicians devoted to sharing the truth engaged together for this common mission and vision. J.P. Sears, who I'm sure many of you are now aware of, was once my protege. He worked with me professionally for seven years and was an instructor for the Czech Institute. JP Followed His Dream is now one of the most important comedians and thought leaders of our day. He has a huge tribe. When I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, I was part of a 14,000-man tribe called the 82nd Airborne Division, and my unit, the 82nd Combat Aviation Battalion, was my tribe within the bigger tribe of the 82nd Airborne Division, which were both within a bigger tribe called the U.S. Army. All military branches and units are essentially tribes on many levels. If you've ever seen a major surgery, it requires a tribe of doctors and nurses with the same mission, vision, and values. A common mission, vision, and values are essential for building a tribe. 
For without a common mission, vision, and values, you don't have a tribe, you just have a bunch of people, and that's called a crowd. I started the Czech Institute in 1995 because I felt the need for a tribe of people that actually understood the human body-mind as a holistic system and could look at the body physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Within the Czech Institute body of students worldwide, there are many tribes all working together to support people and the world with sustainable health performance and authentic spiritual practices. The fact is that there are tribes of people interested in, learning, and growing together on almost any topic you can think of if you look for them, and they are all in existence because people not only need tribe, they live, function, feel safer, and more connected with tribe. Tribe is important to us. Tribe is our extended family, and for those of us in the world without family connection, tribe is what helps us feel at home in the world. We all want and need connection, and with today's digital technology, we can easily start a virtual tribe online, or a tribe that meets in person, or a mix of both. Either will work as long as there is a regular connection. Connection is the key. No connection, no tribe. Just individuals looking for a tribe where they can find connection. Our next key element of a tribe is growth. The growth urge is woven into the human spirit. We all begin as children in our first tribe, our family. We are the slowest creature to mature to its independence in the kingdom of nature, and tribe is what creates a protective web around us to nourish us, guide us, educate us, and inspire our growth so we can become a fully functional contributor to the tribe, which at once means we are contributing to humanity and the world. Tribes bring us into contact with people that can help us grow physically, emotionally, mentally, And spiritually, religions are essentially big tribes. When we are not growing, something happens inside us. We feel less alive, less connected, we get anxious, and if we lose tribe long enough, we get depressed and may even commit suicide. Alcoholics Anonymous is a tribe that helps people with similar life challenges, which is alcohol addiction, to feel connected to each other and to truly understand their challenges give them empathy and compassion, and help them grow spiritually. There are many such tribes, from rape and incest survivors to child and spouse abuse tribes, and soon enough there may even be tribes for people that are addicted to tribes. (laughs) That, That might be true. Tribes help us grow, and to grow is to become more, more of your authentic self, more for your tribe, and more for the world. Next, people that join tribes are typically looking for something new. Tribes have always looked for something new. Originally, tribes were looking for new foods to eat, animals to hunt, land to inhabit, or people that had specific skills that helped the tribe thrive. Tribes are always looking for new ways to do things, better ways to do things, and more efficient ways to do the things that allow us to thrive. Today, most of us have the essentials that we once needed our tribe to acquire, but are still longing for something new. Even happily married couples are looking for something new. Our search for something new is not only an essential means of stimulating the growth of our intelligence and skills, it's a means of expressing and inspiring our creativity. Creativity is the most important quality you can have when it comes to solving challenges. In fact, Einstein said that imagination is more important than knowledge. He said that because without imagination, you lack creativity and knowledge becomes flat, limited, and people keep trying to solve problems with the same thinking that created them, which is a good way to weaken a tribe 
and have it unfit for change, which is inevitable in life. Tribes provide us something new in the way of leadership, friendship, education, creativity, challenges to overcome together, new foods and flavors, and even exciting new sex partners to explore with. Tribes even offer us new ways to communicate. Just look at how many languages ultimately emerge from tribes, and to have a language you have to constantly invent something new. New pictograms, hieroglyphs, symbols, letters, sounds, and words. Tribes bring us something new, and for most of us, something new is always exciting. That's why we love birthdays and Christmas, or any holiday event where we exchange gifts. We love something new. A number of Native American tribes, particularly coastal tribes, had potlatch ceremonies, which always involved engaging something new. A potlatch involves giving away or destroying wealth or valuable items in order to demonstrate a leader's wealth and power. Now That might sound confusing, but in a potlatch, an Indian chief would demonstrate his wealth and power by destroying valuables. <laughs> that was a tribal practice. Potlatches also focused on the reaffirmation of family, clan, and international connections, and the human connection with the supernatural world. Potlatches were also places where they had legal proceedings, which may include namings, business negotiations and transactions, marriages, divorces, deaths, end of mourning, transfers of physical and especially intellectual property, adoptions, initiations, treaty proceedings, monument commemorations, and honoring of the ancestors. Native American tribes also had the powwow. A powwow is a special meeting held by many communities. A modern powwow is a specific type of event for Native American people to meet, dance, sing, socialize, and honor their cultures. Powwows may be private or public. There is generally a dancing competition with many types of traditional dances, often with significant prize money awarded. Powwows vary in length from a one-day event to major powwows called for special occasions, which can be up to a week long. Tribes are also useful because they give us leverage. For example, when we have a tribe, particularly if we have a big enough tribe, we can use the leverage created by our tribe in the following ways. We can get better deals on food, drinks, tools, cars, or anything we buy in bulk because bigger sales gives us leverage for better deals. After all, any business makes its money selling goods, and who in their right mind is going to turn down an opportunity to not only sell lots of their goods, but to gain many new customers? Tribes gain leverage whenever it's time to vote on something that involves other groups, tribes, or political parties. The more people we have in our tribe, the more leverage we have over the outcome of any voting process. This is why politicians are always brown-nosing religious leaders. Religious leaders have big tribes, and big tribes means big power. Tribes get better deals when renting venues, parks, lodging, or even getting into dance halls, shows, and events. Let's face it, tribes have leverage, and the bigger the tribe, the more leverage they have. As I suspect you can see at this point in our exploration of tribes, there are tribes we live with, work with, play with, buy with, fight with, worship with, and more. There is no reason to feel alone today because with just a little effort you can find a tribe to help you connect, grow, and experience something new. Even in the isolation of a lockdown, we have the digital technology that we need to enjoy digital tribes and should all be taking advantage of tribes. 
tips for finding your tribe or tribes. Be clear on what you're looking for. Mission, vision, and values of the tribe are important. The myth of the tribe is also very important. That's the guiding story, and we will talk about that more shortly. Look at the leader or leaders of a tribe. That's very important to study before you join a tribe. The offerings of a tribe are very important. They may or may not be adequate for what you're hoping for. The different names used in place of tribes in our modern culture include team, club, association, unit, organization, and affiliation. But as I indicated earlier by giving you a a good outline of what a real tribe is, these are more modern versions of tribes. If you compare what it means to be in a military unit as opposed to being in a tribe or into being a gaming tribe as opposed to being in a uh, traditional tribe, then you can really see the differences. And I specifically gave you that background on what a tribe was throughout antiquity so that in your mind you can juxtapose things like gaming tribes or associations or clubs versus a tribe, but by sharing the key components of a tribe, such as leadership, communication, a vision, something new, you can uh, distinguish or differentiate whether or not you're getting the tribal connection that you personally need or whether you're just getting a bunch of people that'll blow your email box through the roof with a lot of um, nonsensical or maybe unimportant back and forth messaging. Indicators that you're not joining a tribe. Now these indicators are several, and I will expand on important aspects of this as we go, but some of the key things that you want to look for are top-down management or control, dogma, which ultimately means the lack of something new, no means of communication among tribe members, a dictatorship, being leveraged to join or threatened if you don't join, a lack of ceremony or rituals to keep the tribe connected, stable, and growing, a disinterest in creativity, novelty, or new ideas. Those are all things that should alert you that you are not joining a tribe, but we will look at those in more detail as we go. Warning that you may be joining something that looks like a tribe, but isn't. A cult, a tribe being a group of people bound by connection, growth, and the pursuit of something new, can easily be or become a cult. There are some key differences to be aware of so you don't suffer the perils of cult members while thinking you're joining a tribe. As we have seen in the news many times over the years with people like Charlie Manson, Jim Jones, and various religious leaders that were actually running cults, they were not facilitating true religious teachings or offering the kind of connection that makes a tribe a tribe. Cults can end up in the individual losing their sense of self and falling into a trance state that is induced by charismatic leaders. Here are a few differences between cults and tribes to keep in mind as you look for your tribe or start your own tribe. Leadership. Cult leadership is most always top-down. This means that the leader is essentially in total control of the cult and the opinions, wants, feelings, and needs of the members of the cult are either secondary or ignored altogether. 
In tribes, there's generally a chief, which is the individual most responsible for planning the movements and events of the tribe. Yet in tribes, the chief relies heavily on the wisdom of the elders, the medicine man or woman, and the shaman, and all of them are considerate of and interested in the views, opinions, wants, feelings, and needs of the tribal members. Tribes function with a combination of top-down and bottom-up leadership. Bottom-up means that the needs of the people are considered to be very important to the leadership and are always considered. In cults, the only mission and vision being carried out is that of the leader, and everyone else is subordinate to the leader, and there are often unstated or stated consequences, including death, for not carrying out the demands of the leader. Interestingly, cults function much like military organizations, which are very top-heavy. Most tribes begin with anywhere from one to a number of people that share the same mission, vision, and values, but the initial founders of the tribe know that to accomplish anything meaningful and sustainable, everyone in the tribe needs to be involved with and align with the mission, vision, and values of the tribe. As a tribe grows, the vision of the tribal members and the needs of the tribe members often has as much influence on the architecture of the tribe as those of the leaders. Cults generally have little or no concern for the health and well-being of the members and are only concerned about executing the commands of the leader. This can only happen because cult members, in general, are stuck in the child archetype and because of this, are consciously or unconsciously looking for a father figure to tell them what to do, keep them safe, and provide for them. When I was in the U.S. Army, I was surprised at how many of the soldiers were still children and needed to be told to do even the most essential things, such as brushing their teeth, cleaning their bodies and equipment, and where and when to be, even when it was obvious, when to eat, what to eat, and on and on. Certainly not what my parents raised me and my siblings to function like. Tribes, on the other hand, are only as healthy as the membership. If the leader's decisions diminish the vitality of the tribal members, the whole tribe is disabled. Therefore, in a real tribe, the leadership is always very interested and concerned with the well-being of the members, particularly the children, which are the future of the tribe. Today, with so many tribes being digital and members often never seeing each other in person, we are dealing with a different kind of animal, so to speak. Everyone should be witness to changes in how they live and relate to themselves and others so that if one's sense of self and self-reliance begins to diminish, they know the tribe isn't serving them. If one recognizes this, or family members recognize this, and one keeps engaged with the tribe to further detriment of self, then we have indications of an addiction. Addiction, any repeated behavior that does not serve you, is a real issue in the modern world of digital cults formed by people that use advanced technologies like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other such platforms that are specifically designed to rope the unconscious mind into doing things and spending money on things that are often not in one's best interest. If you have not seen the Netflix documentary titled Social Dilemma, I highly recommend you all study it. Don't just watch it. Study it for your own well-being and that of your friends and family. If you'd like to read or listen to a great book that exposes the technology used to rope people in and keep them coming back to the bird feeder and spending money, check out Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products by Nir Eyal. Because of his own issues with addiction to things like email and related digital technology, 
near Ayal had to go on a journey of weaning himself off of these practices that were digital and distracting him from being productive, which led to his next book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. You can also listen to my podcast with Nir Ayal, which is episode 58, Digital Technology, Bondage or Freedom. Next, let's talk about the people. In a tribe, because people are as important as the leadership and have input to the mission, vision, and values of the tribe, there is a sense of empowerment and inspiration to participate. In cults and organizations that are not actual tribes, People are often not happy being together, often feel obligated to be there. Tribes generally maintain a harmony between leadership and the people, and groups that are not tribes do not demonstrate tribal harmony or kinship. If you attend a tribal meeting and leave feeling pulled down, less motivated, or like your presence isn't important, you are either visiting an unhealthy tribe or something masquerading as a tribe, which is often the domain of a cult or an organization that is manipulating people with illusory promises while seeking to gain something from them. Kind of sounds like the American Medical Association, doesn't it? Visibility. If there are no people you can see or engage with, and no leaders with a clearly stated mission, vision, and values, you may be joining an illusory tribe and it's wise to look for the illusion and why it is there, or you may find yourself regretting ever joining and participating. Dues. Dues that are so high that they suggest inequality between the leaders and members is never a good sign. What looks like a tribe may be a multi-level marketing association. Even if the dues are not high, if you see that the leadership of the tribe is living too far beyond the means of the tribal members, it suggests that the members are being harvested, not led, nurtured, or valued. A good example of inequality between members and leaders can be seen in most any branch of a Christian church, not to mention other religions, which is exactly why the great philosopher and expert on world religion, Manly P. Hall, stated in one of his lectures I listened to, In most churches, there are people in there Monday through Saturday counting money and trying to figure out how to get more on Sunday. He also aptly stated that if you go to a Christian church in any third world country where people can barely survive, just look behind the church and you're very likely to find an expensive Mercedes Benz. This is the kind of inequality that is not customary nor real for tribes. I'm not trying to imply that tribes shouldn't make money or even that they shouldn't be started to make money. What I am saying is that real tribes are oriented first and foremost to connection, growth, community support, and sharing a common dream, which is expressed in the mission, vision, and values of the tribe. If the leader of a tribe doesn't exemplify and embody the values of the tribe, then you have a problem from the get-go. This is why various passages in the Bible, such as Matthew 7.20, say, By their fruits you shall know them. The guiding structure or creed of a tribe. If you want to join a tribe, but there are no statements of mission, vision, values, or a tribal myth to guide and bond the tribe together, then you're probably joining a group, not a tribe. When we look at what has happened with Facebook, Google, and many modern medical systems and how they trick people into sharing their data in ways that are ultimately used against them and diminish their sovereignty and freedom, we don't see a clear guiding structure and their stated mission, vision, and values 
are an illusion more than a reality. Not to mention that many of them have all sorts of fine print that you'd have to read for many hours and no legalese to understand that ultimately trick you into losing your sovereignty. These are not tribes. They are big businesses designed to addict you and capitalize on your ignorance, laziness, and gullibility. That doesn't mean you can't use these tools. It means that you need to be aware of how to use them and not let them use you or you end up with the same issues in your life that drug addicts are disabled by. Tribes, real tribes, tribes that function in healthy ways and benefit people are commonly related to a movement. A movement is thrilling. A movement moves people. It brings them together for a common good, a common dream. Real tribes offer leadership, companionship, structure, and support. They are not just using the tribal concept to harvest your wallet or convince you to believe in things you don't want to believe in, like so many churches, religions, and cults do today. In fact, everyone in a tribe is a leader and is inspired to be a leader. Anyone in a tribe, for the right reasons, naturally wants to share their experiences with others and joins a tribe because of the benefits they see in the lives of those in the tribes that they are aware of in various types. Hello everybody, how are you? How have you been doing this year? I'm asking these questions in all seriousness. When I ask them of people nowadays, they may say they're fine, or they're getting by, or maybe a better than most. But none of them say I'm thriving. I know it's no surprise to you. You listen to my podcast, so you know all about what's going on in the world right now. Many of you have had careers derailed, struggled with your relationships, or felt the bite of money problems. But I'm not talking to you now to get wrapped up in all the challenges we're facing. I'm speaking to you right now just to say getting by isn't enough, and you don't have to settle for that. It's time for all of us to thrive, and we can do it. If you're skeptical, this month I'm going to show you how. For the entire month of April, you'll find a ton of special videos, Instagram live sessions, and two solo podcasts I've recorded, all focused on providing you with the tools and motivation to thrive personally and professionally even under the toughest of times. I had a great time recording these podcasts. They're on important topics that I haven't spoken about before, and I really want to give you a preview, but I'm keeping it secret for now. I think you're going to love them, though. To cap the month off, you'll be able to get some real nutrition to thrive during our special three-day registration event on April 30th through May the 2nd. For those three days, you can register for any of the Czech Institute advanced training programs at incredible prices. That's all of my advanced programs too, including my Functional Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 course that has launched many careers in the field of holistic health and optimization, and it's also the course I produced for the public so that anyone could get themselves healthy, vital, and thrive. If you're done with just getting by, if you're ready to make use of your boundless potential and be the best version of yourself personally and professionally, then here's my suggestion. Go to chekinstitute.com forward slash thrive. You can do that now. You'll find our full schedule of events, and you'll find out how you can get a head start on registering for the Czech Advanced Training Program of your choice at our special Thrive rates. That's chekinstitute.com forward slash thrive. Let's grow together. Come join us. I'm excited to share with all of you. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Sherveen Jaffaria, the founder of Symbiotica. 
Symbiotic is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to Symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilajay Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. Next, I'd like to talk about drug use in tribes. Today, with the rising popularity of shamanism, rave, and trance dance, psychedelics, and the breakdown of our cultural myth, there are so many so-called tribes popping up like mushrooms in a cow pasture. Many of them provide drugs and use them in ways that are dangerous and can be debilitating or lead to death. Currently, at this time, I know of six people that killed themselves using some form of psychedelic, uh, several, half of them on DMT um, with unskilled use. There are tribal organizations, some of which are churches that do offer sacred medicines, but they're always offered in sacred ceremonies and are conducted by skillful trained facilitators, such as shaman or doctors with the training necessary to use plant medicines effectively. The Santo Daime Church is one of them, and they use ayahuasca teas in their ceremonies. I'm a member of the Oklavela Native American Church, which does offer sacred ceremonies in some of its branches that do use various plant medicines, but they're only offered to people that have been properly screened and by medicine people that have demonstrated adequate skill and experience. If you join a tribe that includes the use of drugs, but you don't see that the leadership, members, and people offering the drugs as well-organized, skillful, and operating first and foremost with the interest in safety and the well-being of its members, you're probably in a tribe that is more of a cult than a tribe. So be careful. At this point in my career, I can't even count the number of people that have gone to the Amazon, Costa Rica, Peru, and locations throughout the U.S. to enter so-called tribal ceremonies that were only masquerading as real tribes or masquerading as shaman only to be badly injured in such ceremonies. I've also had this happen uh, with people seeing psychologists and doctors using ketamine. Uh, At this point, I know of two people that got badly injured through ketamine use in professional settings due to negligence of the uh, people administering the medicines. Next, I'd like to talk about the regularity of meetings. Most tribes meet with some regularity, be it weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or seasonally. There's a rhythm and flow to a real tribe. If you've joined a tribe and there's no regularity to the meetings or regular connection to the leadership for support, 
It may be just a special interest group like those people interested in comics, collecting cars, or things like that. But that's not a tribe. It's just a bunch of people with similar interests. But there's no guiding structures to nurture connection, growth, communication, and creativity. It is usually just something akin to a swap meet or a digital marketplace, not a tribe. And again, a lot of these organizations and groups like I'm describing are essentially hijacking the concept of tribe for the reasons I mentioned earlier. It taps into something very primal in us to be part of a tribe, and they're capitalizing on that fact. Next, I'd like to talk about differentiating between tribes and organizations. Today, the line between the tribe and organizations is being blurred. This is happening in large part due to the unethical use of brainwashing technologies and a huge amount of multimedia applications, phone apps, and social media platforms that prey on our inherent need of tribe in an environment of social isolation, scientism, materialism, and consumerism. As I mentioned earlier, my buddy Hans Bloomberg started what I would call a digital tribe for horse lovers that couldn't have a horse in their living circumstances, but he wasn't using brainwashing or addictive technologies to rope them in, keep them addicted, and suck their money out of their pocket using trickery. He provided a service in a place where a horse lover could congregate with other horse lovers and have a virtual experience of having a horse pasture stalls and all the things that go with enjoying horses. His venture was profitable not because he tricked people or addicted people, but because he found a way to serve a need and bring people together with similar dreams. A common theme among tribes is that a lot of them are about a movement. That movement may be protect nature from large corporations that destroy natural resources and segregate us from nature. It may be a movement to create equality among people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. It may be a movement oriented around supporting our favorite sports team. Tribes are almost always connected to movements, and movements give us something bigger than ourselves to contribute to and participate in. Movements often bring more out of us than when we're not in a movement. In his book, Tribes, Seth Godin offers the anatomy of a movement, quoting Senator Bill Bradley, who defines a movement as having three key elements. One, a narrative that tells a story about who we are and the future we are trying to build. In authentic tribal language, this is called the myth of the tribe. A connection between and among the people and the leader of the tribe. Something to do. The fewer the limits, the better. All too often, organizations fail to do anything about the third element of a movement. They just want to use your energy, get your money, or leverage their numbers so they can get a few people at the top to benefit. All you need to do is look at the difference in pay between the CEOs of corporations and organizations and those below them to see the difference between a tribe and an organization. While a tribe uses bottom-up and top-down management, organizations that are oriented toward profit and control are most always predominantly, if not totally, top-down management, which is exactly what we are seeing with Facebook, Google, Instagram, and related platforms that prey on our inherent need for tribe but are not actually giving us tribe. If they were, we would not see documentaries like Social Dilemma documenting very clearly that psychological challenges such as anxiety, depression, and suicide have not only shot through the roof, but they show in the documentary that the escalation in anxiety, depression, and suicide, particularly suicide in this case, 
parallels the increasing usage of social media software and programs wide, you will soon find out that they begin as cults and hypertrophied into what we call a religion, but all too often prey on the psychological immaturity of people to create a father figure leadership that comes with dogma and doesn't include bottom-up leadership at all. In fact, should you challenge the good book, you are not likely to feel part of the tribe at all and may be extricated if you are too vocal about inadequacies, inequalities, or paradoxical contradictions. I found that very early in, in my childhood in a Christian Sunday school. Additionally, if while in service, you sneak around to the front of the church, temple, or synagogue, and I don't mean front of the building, I mean front of the service, while in session, you are likely to see people that look as though they've been forced to come to court out of obligation to participate in jury duty or They are there because they fear that their oh-so-loving God will burn them in hell. That is not at all what I've experienced interacting with tribes and tribal members in my life. That doesn't mean that tribes don't have problems. Problems and people go together, and without challenges to help us grow, we just stay stunted in our childhood and never become an adult, which, by the way, makes us very vulnerable. If you attend a tribal meeting, you're likely to see people smiling, singing, chanting, dancing, sharing arts and crafts, sharing ideas, having open meetings where issues and challenges are discussed, and you will find leadership and support to keep the energy flowing in the direction of resolution, completion, harmony, and living the stated dream, vision, mission, values, and movement that the tribe represents. That's a tribe. Next, I'd like to talk about how to create a tribe. A unique idea, a movement. I started the Czech Institute, which I referred to as my tribe because I saw that both the exercise and medical communities had become dangerously lost in scientific reductionism and materialism. The body was viewed and treated as a machine, and there was no soul being engaged in patients, people, and athletes. I knew I could offer more, so I created a movement. Holistic health and functional exercise for the purpose of creating more autonomy and freedom in people's lives. And because there is real substance in the teachings my instructors and I provide, and we all live the teachings, the Czech Institute's tribal movement has been going on strong since I started it in 1995 and is stronger today than it's ever been. People want tribe, a mission bigger than themselves, leadership, community, connection, growth, and something new. We deliver all that and we have a real tribe. What is it that you see that is needed? What does your soul call you to offer to the world? Who are the people that see and agree with your dream, your vision? They are the people that will most likely help you start your tribe and make a difference in the world. Mission, vision, and values. To organize the energy of people and keep it behind the movement so it has direction and purpose, a tribe needs a mission statement, a vision, and values that bond the tribe together. Without these guiding structures, you don't have a tribe. You have a bunch of people congregating and nothing much is ever likely to happen but a lot of gossip and the consumption, typically, of a lot of junk food. As an example of a mission statement, the Czech Institute's mission statement is, the Czech Institute is committed to empowering people with the foundation principles that are essential to optimal health performance and a successful life of well-being. So there is our 
Czech Institute tribal mission statement. The Czech Institute is committed to empowering people with the foundation principles that are essential to optimal health, performance, and a successful life of well-being. So if you join the Czech Institute, that's what you're getting involved in. Our tribe is all about empowering people, giving them autonomy, teaching them how to be self-sufficient, teaching them the foundation principles such as nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement that are essential to optimal health and enhancing their performance and teaching them tools and giving them skills that support them in having a successful life of well-being. The Czech Institute's vision statement is the Czech Institute leads a worldwide movement of holistic body, mind, health, and optimal performance. So that's our vision. The Czech Institute's core values are reliability, clear communication, empowerment, being resourceful and accountable, open-mindedness, respectfulness, and harmony and balance. We strive to create harmony and balance between achieving business objectives and personal life fulfillment. As the chief of the Czech Institute tribe, I have our tribal mission, vision, and value statement taped right here to the work surface of my desk so I can remind myself every day as to what it is that my responsibilities are as the chief and how to keep the energy of our movement coherent and moving in the direction of well-being for all involved. Any of you starting a tribe would be very wise to do the same thing. Now let's talk about the importance of a guiding myth and the four functions of a myth so you understand, if you're interested in starting a tribe, why a myth is important and how to make sure you construct one to meet the needs of your specific tribal movement. A guiding myth and the four functions of myth. A myth has lost its meaning in our culture, largely due to reductionist influences of academic institutions that are sponsored by corporations with their own agendas. Academic archaeologists have made the huge mistake of looking at artifacts found in digs through their own social-cultural programming, which is largely Judeo-Christian and capitalistic. They seldom ever spend any time studying the native languages or root languages of the people they're investigating, so when they find archaeological evidence of their myths, they look at them rationally, a left-brained approach to ancient cultures that were as yet undeveloped in their use of the intellect and were more connected with feeling and the essence of the land, plants, animals, and the cosmos. This is clearly evident when reading scholarly evaluations of myths such as the Genesis myth in the Bible or most any other myth. Naturally, such academics argue that the world was not possibly created in six days and know factually that the earth is older than 4,000 years old. So what has happened is that through the wholesale discounting of myths by academic institutions, the word myth has become a synonym for a lie. This is very dangerous, and why it is dangerous becomes obvious to anyone that understands what a myth is and why it is so important. And with that said, let's look at what a myth is and why pretty much every tribal society ever investigated had its own guiding myth. A myth is something that never happened, but is happening all the time. So what does that mean? To help you understand this, meaning of myth, let's look at the myth of Narcissus. In Greek mythology, Narcissus was a hunter 
from, I'm not very good at Greek names, Theesope in Boeotia, who is known for his beauty. According to the myth, he rejected all romantic advances from even the most beautiful women, eventually falling in love with his own reflection in a pool of water. Now, a scientific materialist would research Greek history and surely find that there was no such person as Narcissus, and discount the myth as a lie or demote it as a fable or a kid story and imply that anyone in their right mind who believes the myth is uneducated or even stupid. So what is it in this myth that never happened, but is happening all the time? What never happened is a man named Narcissus looking into an actual pool of water and falling in love with his reflection, or at least I strongly suspect so, But to see what in the myth is happening all the time, we need only look at the definition of what a narcissist is, a term derived from the name Narcissus and the myth of Narcissus. The Webster Merriam Dictionary defines a narcissist as an extremely self-centered person who has an exaggerated sense of self-importance, a person who is overly concerned with his or her physical appearance. Just think of how many people you know that are transfixed by how they peer in the mirror or how embarrassed they are if they have to answer the door when they don't look perfect or just right. Look no further than the entire field we call bodybuilding. Go into any gym and you'll see people staring into the mirror incessantly, not just as a means of seeing what they're doing, but when on rest periods or walking around, they are constantly looking at and evaluating their appearance in a mirror. Narcissistic people are notoriously challenging to be in a relationship with because their orientation is so directed toward themselves, there's hardly any room for a relationship with them. So now you can see what aspect of the myth of narcissus is happening all the time. A myth is also defined by James Carse as a story that tells itself. With these essential definitions of a myth now comprehended, Let's look at why a myth is so important to anyone starting or running a tribe. In a tribe, we have a collection of people that are generally bound by connection to a common theme, be it a mission, vision, values, or a movement. Unlike tribes of the past, where we lived together, hunted, gathered, tended animals, built shelter, ate together, sang and danced together, did arts and crafts together, celebrated the seasons and solstice together, today tribes are generally people that live on their own and meet occasionally. But being bound by a movement, mission, vision, and values, even when they're not together, they are, in some sense, in some way, living out their role in the mission, vision, and movement. But since you can't see them in a modern tribe, in many instances, the movement continues to happen all the time, because for all intents and purposes, each member of the tribe functions like an organ in the body of a tribe. They all share the same guiding myth or story. Without their myth, the body of the people unified as a tribe would fall into disharmony, chaos, and nothing would get done. The movement would die. The way the myth of the tribe, the story of the tribe, tells itself is through the flow of psychic energy that is channeled from pure potential into their myth or mission, the big idea that binds them together. Who would you be without your story? What could we say about the Navajo Nespers, Haida, Inca, or the Egyptians, if they had no story? What would they have used as a means to express themselves without a story? What would they have painted but a bunch of people sitting around hoping for crops to grow, animals to die in front of them for dinner, and shelter to magically appear? Hopefully, at this point, 
you can see the importance of myth for any tribe. For without it, you just have a bunch of people waiting around for someone with vision, mission, values, and a movement to tell them what to do. And so far, that hasn't happened. In tribes, it is most often the chief that carries the myth and shares it with the people, inspiring them to stay connected, to take action, grow, and create something new. For without something new, there can be no evolution. Now let's look at Joseph Campbell's four functions of myth so we can better understand the importance of myth to a tribe or why anyone wanting to start a tribe that will have any functionality or sustainability should first be clear on the myth that supports the movement, the mission, and expresses itself as the vision and values that allow it to unfold day by day. The first function of mythology is to evoke in the individual a sense of grateful, affirmative awe before the monstrous mystery that is existence. Today we rely on religion or scientism to provide this function for us. But if one is to start a tribe today, this function has import in that the members of a tribe are existing together as part of one body, a tribe. If a tribe has no means of celebrating the magic and mystery of life, all else becomes mundane. People without a sense of the magic of life are like plants that can't see the sun. They sag and turn away from the kinds of challenges that inspire movements. If your tribe's movement is a big enough dream, it will take inspired, energized people that feel connected to the flow of life force energy, the greatest source of which is the universe and the sun, the energy which flows into the world and creates life. When the first function of a myth is embodied by a tribe, life is a miracle worth living. And what is living without growing? And movements are almost always about some kind of growth, a change for the better, or why would we want to be involved? The second function of mythology is to present an image of the cosmos, an image of the universe roundabout that will maintain and elicit this experience of awe, or to present an image of the cosmos that will maintain your sense of mystical awe and explain everything you come into contact within the universe around you. The second function of myth, like the first, is also the domain of either religion or science in today's world. But if you're starting or running a tribe today, you can use this function of myth by effectively replacing the word cosmos with movement and the word universe with people, and it looks like this. The second function of mythology is to present an image of the movement, an image of the people round about your tribe that will maintain and elicit this experience of awe, or to present an image of the movement that will maintain your sense of mystical awe or inspiration and explain everything that you come into contact within the people around you, your tribe. A tribe isn't just another group nor is it just another organization. It's much more like a hive of bees, and bees all know that there is no single bee that can make honey alone. They share a common myth of beeness, and in so doing, fulfill their movement, their mission, which is to build shelter, pollinate the plants and the trees, and make honey. No bee can make honey alone, and no hive of bees not bound by a common movement or mission will survive. The third function of a mythological order is to validate and maintain a sociological system, a shared set of rights and wrongs, proprietaries and improprietaries, on which your particular social unit depends for its existence. A tribe is a social unit made of people that all have unique talents, abilities, wants, feelings, and needs, 
and sometimes they conflict with each other. This is the case whenever you put two or more people together. Just ask anybody that's married if you're unsure. A tribe without a shared set of rights and wrongs, proprietaries and improprietaries, on which your particular social unit depends for its existence, will simply fall out of step with itself. Nothing meaningful will happen. Connection will be broken. Growth will be stunted. And creativity will have to be used to bring harmony back to the tribe before there can be enough energy and coordination to engage the mission and fulfill the vision. The fourth function of myth is psychological. That myth must carry the individual through the stages of his life, from birth through maturity through senility to death. The mythology must do so in accords with the social order of his group, the cosmos as understood by his group, and the monstrous mystery. This function of myth relates to the process of growth and maturity of an individual in the tribe from birth to childhood to adulthood to old age and finally death, and its practical application in a tribe relates to cycles. Whenever we have a tribe, we have things to do, to complete, and this gives us things to celebrate. Amidst this, we are all people of different ages and stages of life, which means we bring different things to the tribe as children than we do as adults or as elderly people, and that needs to be recognized or you may end up with a child in the position that requires maturity and wisdom within the tribe, which its movement depends upon. Whatever the movement or mission is, it requires making change, overcoming obstacles, and engaging people, places, and things. There are phases to completing any project, and the phases must be held within the minds of the tribal leaders, or efficiency is lost and expenses escalate. Here are the phases. The idea or the thesis, the dream or the movement of the tribe. The antithesis, the challenges the tribe will inevitably meet along the way, such as gaining the finances to fuel the movement, which is followed by synthesis or overcoming the obstacles and completion of the movement at hand, which is followed by rest or the winter phase. If the chief and elders of the tribe are too immature, they will fall into the trap of overlooking the fact that no dream, vision, mission, or movement comes without challenges, and often they are totally unexpected. It takes awareness, planning, and creativity to deal with the unexpected. Another common mistake made by many today is avoiding rest after the completion of a mission or a movement, or a phase of completion in which rest is needed or people lose energy and go flat. Without rest, what you end up with is an endless summer, and soon enough, even the most youthful, vital people in the tribe have adrenal exhaustion and eventually chronic fatigue, and that means a tribe without life force in it, and a tribe without life force is a tree without sun. Hopefully, at this point, you can see that scientism sees the world quantitatively through the rational, logical lens of the intellectual ego. It doesn't want to consider that a soul lived in the rats or monkeys it is dissecting. It ignores the qualitative aspects that are the glue that holds us together as individuals as well as holding the tribe together. Who cares if there are 150 people in a tribe or 15,000 if there is no love, no common bond, no impetus for connection between them? It's up to the chief to make sure that the tribe has a healthy functional myth or it's not a tribe, it's just a group, a business, a cult, or something else, but not a tribe. Tribes are living, breathing organisms. Now let's talk about leadership abilities and leadership. 
No tribe can function without leadership, and there can be no leader without a tribe. If you desire to start a tribe and leadership isn't natural to you, then it's wise to take a course or two in leadership or do an internship with a leader in a field that relates directly to the movement you desire to create. It is essential to remember that in a tribe, leadership is not a dictatorship, or you have a cult, a military organization, or a religion with a dogma, which is fine if you want to attract immature, undeveloped people that need to be told what to do and fed. Tribal leadership is a marriage of the chief's vision and the direction at the top with the support of his wise counsel and feedback, ideas, and inspiration from the bottom, the members. If your tribal leadership isn't a two-way street, you have something other than a tribe, even if you call it a tribe. And and just to avoid any confusion or contradiction, I referred to my experience in the military as a tribe, not because of the structure of the military, which would make it an organization or a business, but because of the common bond amongst the men. Though I did not enjoy the military whatsoever, I did enjoy the camaraderie and the uh, group connection to getting things done, overcoming obstacles together, and having that sense of brotherly love. And also, spending most of my time on the boxing team, we had a mission, we had vision, and we had values that were very, very much... um, what we organized our training by and committed ourselves to. So there can be a lot of tribe instilled into an organization, into a family, into a business, into a group. But if you really want that tribal connection, the things that I'm sharing here are really what make it happen. Like-minded people... To start a tribe requires like-minded people, people that share your vision. A tribe functions as a tribe because of the common mission, vision, and values that hold them together, which, as I've shared here, are directly related to the four functions of the tribe's myth. If your movement is about equality among different types of races, colors, or creeds, it's unlikely that you'll ever get a bunch of skinheads to join your tribe. If your tribal mission is to exploit the oil resources of the planet, and make loads of money, you're very unlikely to find environmentalists joining your tribe. To build a tribe, it is essential to locate people that share the vision and movement of the tribe. That said, you have to be careful about the tribe becoming so homogenous that there isn't enough diversity in opinions among tribal members, or the tribe will develop blind spots that can be potentially dangerous. Diversity of values and opinions within reasonable scope are necessary because they stimulate healthy conflict. Healthy conflict is essential for any relationship to be healthy, or even for any family, tribe, or business to be healthy. Conflict is only unhealthy when it's directed away from the mission, vision, and movement of the tribe, such as interpersonal squabbles. This is one of the reasons why any tribe needs wise elders within its body, or the children of the tribe will disable its capacity to connect, learn, grow, change, accomplish, and inspire. They lose sight of the objective that bring people together in a tribe. And I don't mean this to be derogatory towards children. I mean adults that act like children, young children, and squabble and fight over who gets the hopscotch box first, 
or who got the bigger piece of pie. There should be no censorship in a tribe because censorship not only diminishes ideas, it stops the chief's ability to forecast trouble spots ahead and make course adjustments. For example, there may be two very powerful people in a tribe that don't work well together, and the chief or elders of the tribe must find others that they work with harmoniously, or the tribe becomes like a car being driven with the emergency brake on. This wears the members of the tribe out fast, the friction burns people up, and processes slow down, fuel economy gets worse, or the efficiency of the tribe goes out the window. Now and then there are people that lose their way in life, who can't see the big picture or get caught up in weird stuff. And if you censor them, you lose your warning light. For example, if the tribe is having heated challenges with another organization or body that is blocking their ability to carry out their mission, and someone in the tribe is an immature hero type, they may resort to violence, and this can cause serious problems for the tribe and even destroy its future. By listening carefully and watching carefully, the chief and the wise ones in the tribe can spot and read such implications from any individual. But if they react by silencing such a person, they only find out that they made a big mistake and lost their ability to intervene in healthy ways when the FBI shows up at the door of a tribal meeting to shut them down and label them as a cult. These words should not be taken lightly in today's environment of censorship. Look around you and pay close attention to what is happening as corporations with their own agendas start censoring the opinions of those with opinions contrary to their objectives, which are almost always totally profit-driven and not oriented toward the health or overall well-being of the people, even though they use spin doctors to make the gullible think that they are. Whenever you have a dictatorship, you lose connection and communication, and there is no longer a common dream to bind the people in positive ways. You can not only lose a family this way, you can lose a tribe, a military unit, a business, an organization, and a nation. A common challenge to overcome. Anytime a tribe has a common challenge to overcome, or an up-and-coming tribal leader or a chief sees a common problem to overcome, there is a reason to find others that see the problem and work together to turn the challenge into an opportunity. As I described earlier, this is exactly what led me to creating the Czech Institute tribe, and isn't it interesting that everyone in the Czech Institute tribe makes a living helping others deal with the common challenges of living well today? One great way to start a tribe is to find a common challenge to overcome that is big enough that people can see it and are willing to get involved. Today, that shouldn't be hard to do at all. <laughs> Next, let's talk about networking abilities. To start and run a tribe successfully today will require networking abilities. If the leader of the tribe, the one who holds the vision, doesn't have networking abilities, then it's very wise to find someone that believes in the mission, vision, or movement and recruit them. With all the segregation and isolation we're experiencing today, it takes networking to reach people and to bring them together, even if it is digitally. Bees, wolves, and coyotes are great networkers, and they've all managed to survive for a very long time. Tools and resources. Depending on the kind of tribe one wishes to start, there will always be the need for tools and resources. Look carefully at what you will need to recruit, connect, engage, and inspire people if you want to build a successful tribe. Today we are abundant with such technology, so it shouldn't be hard to do. 
if you have a vision but no skill in the arena of tools and resources, then the second member of your tribe should be someone with these skills. Time to invest in the tribe building process. Building anything meaningful takes time. If you don't have the time it takes to engage each of the aspects of building a tribe I've listed here, then you will either need to recruit help from people that share the vision, or you'll probably die of old age before you have a tribe that can actually function like a tribe, thrive, and grow together. I'd like to close our first edition of the Thrive series today by saying thank you for all of you for being part of the Living 4D with Paul Check tribe, which is itself an extension of the Czech Institute tribe. If you've listened to me this long, it's a good sign that we share similar values and that you have a similar vision for yourself, your family, and the world as I do. Though I'm the chief of our podcast tribe, 1,100 of you were kind enough to fulfill the role of tribe by filling out our recent questionnaire so the podcast team and I can improve the podcast for you, which relates to our connection. This is a real example of bottom-up leadership, and we are implementing many of the changes you suggested. I hope you've enjoyed our exploration of Tribe today in this, our first edition of our Thrive series. I hope you have success in finding the right tribe for you or starting your own tribe so you and others can live and love more fully and thrive by engaging a movement that is meaningful and inspiring to you. If your desire is to start a tribe for business reasons, then I trust you can see the importance of having and holding a tribal myth, which is expressed in part by the dream, mission, vision, and values that support the tribe and the mission you choose to engage. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you to all of you who support the podcast by making purchases from our sponsors, for they are key to supporting the Living 4D tribe. Each time you make a purchase from a sponsor, a small percentage goes to me to help me have the time and be able to devote the time and energy necessary to creating the podcast, finding the guests, and doing all the work that makes a successful podcast. And uh, I hope that you appreciate that, and I certainly appreciate your support. I love doing this, and I love sharing with all of you, and I hope you all feel inspired to go out and carry any wisdom you get from the podcast into your life and into the world so we can make the world a better place for all of us. Aho, great spirit. We are safe. We are home. We are whole. It is done. It is done. It is done. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check. Remember to check out the Czech Institute's Thrive event by going to checkinstitute.com forward slash thrive. You'll find the full schedule of events and how you can get a head start on registration for the Czech Advanced Training Program of your choice at the special Thrive rates. That's C-H-E-K-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot com forward slash thrive. Follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check or on Twitter at paulcheck or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. Music